Hello, ladies, gentlemen, and as always, everyone in between. My name is Clifton Duncan. This is the Clifton Duncan Podcast. Do me a favor, however you're consuming this content, please give it a thumbs up, five stars, positive review. Uh, if you love it, share it with your friends. If you hate it, share it with your enemies. Uh, we're going to jump right into it today with my fantastic, lovely guest. You know, uh, I got to say that uh, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, and James Bond, uh, they each had a profound uh, influence and impact on my development as a young adult. And I was deeply inspired by the travails and triumphs of Luke Skywalker, the, the curiosity and courage of Indiana Jones, and the cool confidence, uh, charisma, charm, and class of 007, depending on who is played by, obviously. Uh, but recently, it seems that these uh, and... Those currently at the helm of these and other franchises, including Terminator, Star Trek, and uh, recently Lord of the Rings, uh, seem determined to use these franchises as platforms to express a particular vision of the world to the audience, aka the consumers, aka the fans. And when these fans reject this vision, Appropriate is laid uh, not at the feet of the creators and the producers, oddly enough, but uh, at the fans themselves who are labeled as toxic or bigots, even as Nazis. But the fans aren't taking these insults, uh, nor the desecration of their beloved franchises lying down. The rise of social media in the digital age has now given uh, these fans their own platforms from which they can push back and uh, make their voices heard. Uh, YouTube particularly has uh, become a home for people to express their thoughts. And as a result, the modern entertainment machine is having its feet held to the fire as countless people every day push back against the continued desecration of all the things that we loved as kids kids. So uh, there's few people more qualified today than, uh, than my guest to talk about what's happened to these franchises. Uh, why are we experiencing these sorts of, um, uh, I guess, desecrations, as I said before, of, of our beloved franchises? And uh, what uh, can be done uh, to push back and, and if there's any changes happening? Uh, hello, uh, Mr. Gary. I always say, I'm going to say it wrong. Beckler, yeah? It's Beekler. You were close. Oh my God. I always get it wrong. It's just, you know, it's just much. It moves, people usually mutilate it. You did a good job there. Well, you know, I, I should, I should do better. I should clap, do clap better, <laughs> but uh, please introduce yourself to those who, uh, to, to the, to the vanishingly few people who don't know you already. Oh gosh. Uh, my name is Gary Beekler. I come from nerdrotic.com and a channel called nerdrotic on YouTube and nerdrotic daily and nerdrotic live. And I talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of pop culture. Uh, it started out with the good. I, it, I never had any intention of talking about uh, the ugly part of it. There's always bad in art. And, you know, sometimes bad can be good. But the ugly can never be good. And that's the part that has been, like, dominating the conversation uh, because of Hollywood. And you're absolutely right. They have put this at the feet of the fans when it, it's been Hollywood all along. Um, there were things that needed to change in Hollywood. Absolutely. And they're the ones who do the casting. They're the ones who write the stories. They're the ones who promote these stories the way they choose to promote them. And I felt like, and I think many others felt like that there was a natural progression going towards being all encompassing and inclusive to use their, I hate using their language, but I will in this case, uh, inclusive and diverse. Uh, there was, this was happening. This was happening naturally, uh, and nobody was making a big deal about it. As a matter of fact, it's been happening for a long time. Uh, we had uh, Eddie Murphy was one of the biggest stars when I was a kid. And, like, I looked up to that guy, Beverly Hills Cop 2 was one of my all-time favorite movies. 48 Hours is one of my all-time favorite movies. And it's not because of Nick Nolte. It's because of Eddie Murphy. And, like, these things, this was a natural progression. It's just stuff we didn't talk about when we were kids. And I grew up, you know, in Southern California, and it, it's it's it was mixed race where I grew up, so it was not anything we ever talked about, uh, you know. And and it's it's stupid. I, I still think it's dumb. Identity politics was introduced by an activist wing of Hollywood, and I could sit here for a very long time explaining it. It's hard to get to a Reader's Digest version, but I will try. Um, Oscar So White happened. Harvey Weinstein happened. Donald Trump happened, Barack Obama happened, and all these things aligned in around 2015 to start uh, injecting in identity politics that started from our universities into all of our culture. 
words like uh, you know colonized and colonialist started getting into our modern vernacular words that we never even talked about you know and like sure it's something that we want you know history is history but when it starts getting affixed to every story everything and now you know fast forward we can't have a proper lord of the rings adaption and i almost but not quite sympathize with amazon because they bought the rights and i doubt they intended to do what they're doing now but they have to they feel like they have to because they made this bed they introduced they let the wolf into the door of identity politics and man this is getting taught everywhere crt that crt is now basically been passed through every writer's room in hollywood i have seen i've got documented evidence of this uh, and it's been pushed by the Roddenberry group, which is uh, Gene Roddenberry's son. Uh, and they push what they ironically called white papers uh, that are from think tanks. And it's basically a can what you can and cannot do in writing. And this has been going on for a long, long time. And, it, and I, I first noticed it in comic books. Uh, I'm not going to say it started there, but I first noticed it in comic books. Uh, people love to equate like Gamergate and the sad puppies thing with sci-fi, uh, all very different things that do have a core, like uh, the, the core is a customer revolt, a, a customer revolt. I don't use the word consumer um, for basically saying, hey, you know, politics is one thing. Identity politics, personal politics, uh, attacks, alienating half your audience is a completely different story. And that's what's been happening over the last five or six years. But again, it started long before that. Well, long I, I would, you know, I, I, would, I would say that as well. And uh, just jumping back a little bit for those who don't know, um, a lot, lot to respond to what you just said there. For right. one, uh, I'll just, I'll work backwards, I think. Like Gamergate, um, for those who don't know, uh, in the summer of 2014, August, I remember where I was when it all, when it all happened. Um, but there was a, what started out as a sex scandal, essentially, between a, a sort of jilted, uh, jilted programmer, I suppose, and an indie game developer re really blew up and took fire as the sort of sort of first, I won't say salvo, but uh, really a major event in what we now call the culture wars. Um, and the reason it kind of blew up is because it, it wasn't just about video games. It was about the encroachment of this particular um, sociopolitical uh, worldview onto a particular hobby where where before it hadn't really been an issue, um, you know, as someone who is clearly not white, uh, although some of my detractors might uh, might disagree with that. I'm, I'm politically uh, not black right now. Um, you know, I was never, you know, I was into pro wrestling and comic books and uh, video games, and no one ever excluded me um, from any of these things. And yet now you read these articles from these stupid 20 somethings who weren't alive then, um, who try to assure you that it's always been uh, exclusionary. Um, but, you know, going back, well, I guess I'll go back, jump back to the uh, beginning. But, you know, Eddie Murphy, I was thinking right before we started this, um, you know, Eddie Murphy or, you know, uh, or Bill Cosby, you know, comedians have always been sort of a safe place for, for black performers to go. But, I think about people like James Earl Jones, Denzel Washington, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, Morgan Freeman, uh, Ving Rhames. These guys, uh, I envy these guys because they were able to uh, succeed in spite of their race, not because of it. But now in modern times, the reverse is true. They are, people are succeeding now. They're being, they're being chosen because of their race and not in spite of it. Um, so the, they're sort of I recently spoke to Victor Davis Hanson. He said, excellence cuts all ties. And that's sort of what, I mean, Denzel Washington is one of the greatest actors who ever lived. And, and that's why he's a huge star, not because of, not because he was a diversity hire, but I would say that, um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I've been examining the sort of downfall of a lot of our arts and cultural institutions. And I keep sort of hovering around, you, you mentioned 2015 and Gamergate was 2014, but I'm hovering around like around 2010 or so. And it seems to coincide with the explosion of social media and the internet and, and how divided we are and how people are kind of getting into their own, um, their own echo chambers and, and whatnot. And it just seems like everything was, was kind of going fine. And then 2010 happened and then, um, and then it, um, it uh, sort of began to really, really suck. And um, one of the last things that I'll say is that um, my, one of my concerns now is that audiences are going to begin, um, they're going to begin reflexively pushing 
back or rejecting um, actors who look like me, uh, performers who are not white, ironically, because they're creating more of the racism than more of the bigotry, more of the sexism, homophobia, et cetera, et cetera, because of their hyper focus on it. And it's just, you know, it strikes me as it's yet another example of people whose idealism and intentions um, overshadow what the actual consequences and effects of those intentions uh, turn out to be. Yeah. I, well, I mean, like I said, I, I don't even want to be talking about this stuff. You know, this, this is stuff that, that like has been injected into everything that, you know, when, when a Lord of the Rings trailer comes out and the first thing they show you is the, the most unrecognizable things or characters that Tolkien never developed for that story when there's plenty they could have focused on that are big players. I'm not going to get too, you know, too into the lore. I'll just say there's some big players that uh, you saw a snippet of that, that are, should be the main characters of the story. But that, that aside in 2010, I was at the comic shop, uh, but I was, but I was also splitting time that was like the one, to, you know, I was splitting time between running a comic shop and working in Hollywood. That was my time working in Hollywood. So it was 2010, 2011. I didn't notice it. Uh, I, I, I didn't notice it till I came back from Hollywood of this stuff creeping in uh, because quite frankly, I was too busy working <laughs> on stuff and I didn't really have time to pop my head up to it, it's amazing. Like if you work in, in uh, I worked in the technical part of it. Okay. So like the real, real back end metadata editing stuff so i didn't have any time to like pop up and pay attention to stuff like i was when i ran the comic shop when i came back that's when i started seeing it uh and like if you really go back it, it could go back to 2007 uh it, it's um you can see some of these uh things being done with even with george r, r. martin's a song of ice and fire as early as the 90s but it was done well like, right, it was considered, you know, when we started noticing in 2010, 11, particularly in comics, it was just considered as something different. It was like, yeah, it's a lot like the Watchmen. You know, it's basically the comic industry turned into the Watchmen. Like, we're going to subvert everything. There's no heroes, nihilism. And that's where we're at now. Nihilism rules the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and we don't have the hero anymore because the hero is considered a something from the patriarchy or or you know uh, uh, an outdated outdated and unacceptable as one tolkien scholar called it in my last video that i covered uh you know the themes of lord of the rings which is just good versus evil and uh you know it's it, a lot of the political class and the activists will will see it as coded as something that it's not that it's just not and, and that's the, the dishonesty of this movement is what really, really pisses me off. It's, it's just flat out lies. When you're talking about a man with Tolkien or anybody, you know, even if like, I'm not going to defend any actual racism, but like when you're a guy like Tolkien, who was just, you know, lived in an English village, saw the world through the, through war and everything, but it's just like uh, identity politics didn't enter his head. It wasn't something he thought about. And you can't judge the man for that because that was his time. That's how he lived. It's ridiculous to do that, but we're seeing that. So metaphorically, it's like ripping down a statue. That's what it is. And and we we've seen each one one of our favorite you know things: Star Wars, Star Trek, Doctor Who, Marvel Comics, DC Comics, all get pilfered because you can't build anything. Woke cannot build anything; they can only destroy. So they have to hitch their wagon on something that's already popular. I mean, they do try to create their own stories and they fail miserably because nobody wants to watch them. I mean, there's a TV series by Showtime uh, out, out right now called Everything's All White. And it's just CRT, the TV show. And it's getting like critics ref will refuse to cover it because they're afraid to, and it's getting pilfered and, you know, as it should, cause it's terrible. You know, it's, it's dividing us more in like the worst possible time, not saying the world was perfect, it never was, and it won't be in our lifetime, but we were really moving, I think in a, in a good direction. And that got subverted for lack of a better term. When, when's the exact date? I have no idea, but I just know it's ramped up like to ridiculous levels in the last two years. You know, it's, it's what's so crazy about that. I, I remember watching that trailer for it and I just said, I have no desire to watch any of this, but I think. You know, in, in my in my time as an actor, it's been crazy because, you know, in the wake of um, in the wake of George Floyd's death 
um, I noticed that uh, the industry was going full bore into, you know, diversity, equity, inclusion, or, you know, it's really ordered poorly. It's diversity, diversity, inclusion, and, and equity, or die, uh, as, as, as it should be stated. But I noticed that the, it, it, it was so, this race mania, this moral panic over race, uh, so took over the industry so rapidly. I mean, it was already going in that direction. It's one of the things that prompted me to speak out originally, but I, but I learned, I mean, I heard terms like, like white theater spaces uh, that I had never heard before. And the irony is that throughout my, throughout my career, either undergraduate, uh, you know, un as an undergraduate drama student uh, through grad school, you know, my young career and going on, I had never, no one ever tried to discourage me. No one ever said that, uh, you know, I would never make it because of my race. In fact, I always heard the opposite. And uh, and people from the very beginning, since I was about 17 years old, were saying, you know, if you really bust your butt, you know, you could have a really long career in this. You have a lot of potential. And so I was very surprised to hear just how racist and, and white supremacist the industry is because I had all these colleagues who were who were pushing me along the, the, the entire time. And um, I just I, I it, it pains me to 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 see this because I. I, again, like I said, I think people are going to begin rejecting saying, well, you know, this person is only cast now because they check a certain box, not because of the the individual appeal or or talent, for lack of a better word, of that particular performer. And uh, it's I think it's really in the long term is going to do more damage to actors like me um, than it's going to uh, than it's going to serve. You're right. And I'll give you an example. Uh, the Kenobi trailer just came out yesterday. Oh, the Kenobi trailer. The Kenobi trailer features a black woman, like prominently, more than Kenobi. Now you can tell that Disney did it to make it look like uh, to almost apologize for their white lead. This this actress took a role. It's not even her fault, but I'm fair or not. We're all the fans are now just rolling their eyes when they see this because it looks like pandering, which it might not be in this case. It has been in pretty much every case with Disney Plus over the last year and a half, but this one could be different and I will I'll keep my mind open to it. And is it fair to the actress, the actual actress? No, of course not. Of course not. She's just taking a role. And when I make videos, I try to keep the act uh, actors and actresses' names out of my mouth unless they have said something really stupid. I don't bring in crew members or anybody like that. I usually go after the powers that be, like the big producers and stuff. I try to kind of lay off the regular working folk at Hollywood because they're just taking jobs, but they have to speak up too when this stuff is happening. And it's like playing a huge part in dividing our nation, which it is absolutely is when you see Alex Kurtzman who runs Star Trek flat out admitting that Star Trek is a platform when Amazon is going to use who bought Tolkien's, you know, legendarium to use as a platform. Marvel turned into a platform and these like, I'm, this is stuff they've said openly openly each marvel actor when they get the job part of the reason they took the job is because of the platform and the influence they can have it's ridiculous like just be an actor be a star try to be appealing to everybody you know and uh stay apolitical and you will be immensely popular like it's 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 not rocket science but it must be that's why i call a lot of them adult pretenders which is very disrespectful and it's meant to be it's absolutely well, meant to be well but, but well you're also i mean it, it it is what it is i mean Laurence olivier who for those who don't know is one of the most celebrated actors of the 20th century i mean he, he's quoted as saying you know acting is not a job for a for an adult man <laughs> you know we, we we literally get paid uh to do uh to do what children do on playgrounds for free all the time i spent the first year of my um my advanced conservatory training being envious of children unlike in hollywood where i guess they they do other things with children but uh that's, that's a subject for a different a different discussion but uh you know but in, in a way for what we have to do children are really perfect because they have endless curiosity they have uh, you know they have uh soaring imagination you watch kids play a game of tag and it's life and death with them but it's, it's not that that, that far removed from you know, if you're doing uh, some green screen uh, uh, CGI fest and you have to pretend that there's some monster coming coming to get you and coming to kill you. I mean, it's it's really the same. It's, it's the adult version. It's adult pretending. So I don't take any um, any offense to it. But uh, I want to go back to this idea of, uh, you know, you mentioned Alex Kurtzman and um, and it, it ties into you as well, because for years now, I've been watching channels like yours um, and um, 
and really, really enjoying it. And so when the I actually had an audition come in for a for a series regular role in um, what is it the, the new Star Trek, like the next whatever it's called. It's Brave not the new Picard World. show. Brave. Yeah, I think that's what Strange it's New Worlds. Yeah, Strange New Worlds. And um, and I was like, oh, wow, this is really cool. You know, it's for some doctor or whatever. And then I read, you know, who the, the, the name in the, you know, the email of who was producing it, exec producing it. And I saw his name and I said, <laughs> because because then what happens is that it puts you as an actor um, who is not on the story, who is not in the, the blue cult, it puts you in an odd position. I've already been someone who has had to, who has turned down a lot of stuff because I'm like, I'm not with this, this bullshit. But then I, you know, I see that and I say, I know what this is going to be because of the names attached to it, but how do you tell your representative? Yeah, I don't really want to audition for this new Star uh, Star Trek show. Uh, when you're, especially, you know, you're still getting established, you're up and coming and, um, you know, it would be a career changing job, but then you have to think about, am I going to, you know, am I, do I want to be in a position where I'm on set for possibly years, continually fighting with writers, continually fighting with producers, trying to say, uh, you know, could we do it this way instead? Or, you know, I, I don't really, you know, or do you just keep pretending to yourself? Like, I don't really believe in this, but I'll do it for a paycheck. And that's what, that's what I, when I really began to understand uh, the, the sort of soulless uh, unhappiness of a lot of people who are in Hollywood, who sell out what their values are. Because one thing that, that one thing that's really annoyed me lately is that I get people who reach out to me privately. And, and the more my visibility grows, you know, the more people reach out to me. And they agree with they agree with you. They agree with me. Um, they're not far right ideologues. They're not extremists. They just they they don't really sign on to a lot of um, the the uh, you know far left wing uh, nonsense. But they are afraid to say anything, or they just go along with the flow because you know the, the great Patrice O'Neill once said that you know there, there's this uh, this machine, this beast. But when you're in the belly of the beast, you're making two million dollars a week. So how can you really give that up? It's a um, it's it's a tough sort of moral conundrum for people and and um, you know I I I don't know how um, <laughs> how people are supposed to work around it. I don't either uh, because we're so divided now. And again, uh, paying customers, fans, audience members, I never blame you. Fans are fans. Fans have always been fans. They're reactionary. The reason they are is because they love what they love. And this, this is something that's ever changed, never changed. And it was something I was honored enough to learn through, you know, selling comic books for 10 years in San Francisco in a very diverse part of like right near San Francisco state, like probably one of the most liberal places in the world. And this, my libertarian <laughs> butt did fine there. And I won best of the Bay in 2009. Nice. So uh, yeah, and it was fine. And then it wasn't. So what we are is we're we're divided now, and there is an ex, there is an absolute extreme left, fundamentalist, cultist, religious thing that's in absolute power right now. Sure, there's fringe on the right, but they're they're not in power. I don't even consider them. Uh, and and there's some people who are center right, uh, even classical liberal, who are just done. They're like I have black pilled everything. I'm gone, and and that's like I don't blame them. And I, and I never will, but I, I just, I can't, I can't give up hope. You know, I'll like, I'll black pill certain franchises like Star Wars. I can care less about Star Wars, but like, I'm not going to give up on the whole thing. It's too important because if we, because I feel like if we walk away, it's defeat and it's done. And yeah, it's an uphill battle. It shouldn't be a battle, but right now uh, the two sides uh, can't talk to each other right now. Uh, and, and that's, that's, that's a problem. That's going to be a problem. It'll always be a problem because eventually we're going to have to, we're going to have to compromise. We're going to have to find some place in the middle or one side's going to have to get wiped out. I mean, that's eventually where all things end. I don't want to get to the one side getting wiped out part. I really don't. Uh, so that's why I still bring this to, I, you know, we're, we're getting to the working class people. Like that's, I, I've always been a working class guy, a blue collar guy, my entire life owned my own business for 10 years. But before that I was like selling auto parts, dude. I was like a blue collar guy. I was just a nerd. Um, and I love that job, by the way, and I was grateful for it. Um, and, you know, th that's who we're talking to. That's who you're talking to. We're, we're, you know, people who are at work listening to us while they're on their way to work, while they're at work, while they're grocery shopping. Um, and that's, that's the reason we're here. And, and I don't, I'm not going to say we represent them. We are part of them. We are members of the audience. That's the big difference here. We're, we're not 
hosts. We're not above anybody. We're part of it. And we're just the ones with the microphones right now. Somebody else might come along later. I can't all be Joe Rogans, but I think there's like a thousand Joe Rogans out there. And I think you're one of them. Uh, I think this guy's come up and coming, by the way, going to be a big star, big star. Well, uh, you know, just, you know, I, I, I gotta say it's, well, for one, I do want to make clear that I, I do feel like, you know, people can have their personal politics and those politics can inform the work that they do. And, um, and, you know, it's just, I think what we're talking about is what we mentioned before is that there's this really divisive and nihilistic um, particular strain of, of sociopolitics that's, that's infested uh, these particular uh, brands and, and franchises. But going back to what you were saying about fans and, uh, you know, and guys like you have really given me an appreciation for the fans and, uh, you know, platforms, you know, just comment sections, forums, um, you know, you, you read what people are talking about. And what I love is that you know, I think people have this image of, of quote unquote, working class people, um, or even the, the average, normal, regular, everyday, I'll, I'll say American, just, you know, for, for uh, shits and giggles. Um, and um, they have this idea that uh, there's, so, there's some sort of uh, rough around the edges kind of rube or whatever. But I read these comment sections and, and I, and I, you know, I, I look at uh, like one of my favorite videos on YouTube right now. Uh, I never bothered to go and see The Last Jedi, but I love watching. Somebody took uh, like there, there's a half an hour video. I can't remember the YouTuber's name, but it's criminally underviewed. And they they had this montage of a bunch of different people uh, just critiquing the movie. Like some of some of them are amateurs, some of them are professionals. I think like the Canadian Entertainment Tonight guys, you know, show up in there. Ben Shapiro's in there. Um, but it's a lot of average people. There is no uniformity in race, no uniformity in, in gender, uh, gender, no uniformity even in sexual identification or sexual minorities. Uh, um, and you, uh, the, the video is so well done because you see everyone hitting the same sorts of problems they had with the film, and you know, to varying levels of sophistication, obviously, and 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 uh, and eloquence. But it's like. You know, people might not have Ivy League degrees or super high IQs or huge vocabularies, but they know what they like and they know what they feel when they see something. And there is a level of, uh, of sophistication that you see when you read these comments. Like, you know, people, they call them fans. It's short for fanatic. They, they have a huge passion about these things and they take them very seriously. So to see these ideologues who are at the helm of these franchises that are disrespecting not only the franchises, but then they disrespect the fans and, and the customers, as you say, uh, for not liking uh, what, what they've done is really annoying to me. But what, on top of that, what I've, what I've learned and what I'm discovering, I mean, my, my, my most watched video right now is, is, a, is my talk with, it's half an hour, but it's my talk with Victor Davis Hanson, who is a classicist, he's an historian, he's most well known for his political commentary. But, I, but we sat down and he had, and I just asked him about classical literature, you know, like Greeks, you know, Romans, the, the old stuff. And people love it. They love it. They love it. They love it. And, and it says to me that um, there is a level of, uh, it's heartening to me because there's a level of sophistication, a level of, of, of hunger for these sorts of, uh, these sorts of this complex, rich, uh, deeply layered material. That, that's, that is difficult, but it says, but the, but these, these works, they say something to us about who we are. And back when thousands of years ago, when these writers were unencumbered by political correctness, you know, they could actually tell the truth about who we are. Um, and, and even, you know, even the ugly parts as well as the, the, the cool parts. And so, you know, I kind of want to get to um, shift to like maybe a little deeper topic because, you know, we, we talked about nihilism. I've noticed that the same, the same thing as well. Like there, there's a deeply sort of hollow, um, uh, there's not like an aspirational quality about a lot of these people. They, they, they seem to really hate humanity and hate uh, what we are. And yet they're being tasked with telling these big stories, these, these huge properties with, which became famous because they deal with the, the root and the core of who we are. And, and it just seems to me like that's sort of what's lacking um, in a lot of people. There's A, there's this inability to understand that the people who consume uh, these products are not morons and not rubes and they're they're actually human beings and that we have this universal shared humanity that that is touched upon even and even in escapist fantasy like james bond and um it's like there's like a, a sort of soullessness about a lot of what we see right now that that um that i think um i mean i wonder what your thoughts are about like what what you think is missing from a lot of this stuff gratitude 
Mm. Gratitude. Um, so, uh, I mean, like I bitch about pop culture a lot. So p- people might see, they, they see me in my channel, but, um, I, you know, my whole life is based in recovery. I'm a recovering alcoholic and addict. I go to AA meetings. I got a sponsor of my 12 steps. I do them every year. Uh, I would recommend it for anybody. You don't have to be addicted to anything, but that's just me. Uh, I think it's good. It's, I, you know, uh, my, as my, my original sponsor called it, it's life school. And, and the basis of, for me now, uh, the basis of recovery to maintain it is to maintain my gratitude and my spirituality. And that is doing it by, with balance and realizing the world is in a perfect place. But uh, every week I have to do a list. Uh, it's, it's, it's my, my sponsor makes me do a list, a gratitude list. Can't have the same things on it all the time. Got to think about things I'm grateful for to keep me balanced. And you know, when, when the regular working person sees somebody from Hollywood, like Zoe Kravitz, who might've been misquoted. So let's, I want to be fair to her now, but there was a quote that came out that she didn't get the role in uh, Nolan's Batman because she was too urban, which she doubled down on later, but she said it wasn't, she didn't blame Chris Nolan, which is fine. She's probably afraid because Chris Nolan's a pretty powerful guy in Hollywood, but I digress. But to, to the regular working folk, it's just like, you were great as Catwoman in, in the Batman. Why aren't you just being happy? Like, why do you have to come out and talk about, like, some missed role from 10 years ago that, like, and, and, and you as an actor know, like, rejection is part of your job. It is part of your job. You're going to get rejected all the time. Uh, and, if I can, and if I can jump in really quickly, you're talking about uh, um, just film as a medium. It's very, very, it's highly visual. It's moving pictures. And Zoe Kravitz, just the way that she looks, she she has a certain sort of, I mean, her dad, her dad is Lenny Kravitz. Her mom is Lisa Bonet. And she, so Zoe has this this quality about her that, you know, if Chris, if Chris Nolan is, is think is casting Catwoman uh, for his particular vision of of of, you know, in his Batman world, Zoe Kravitz has has a, you know, urban is often affixed to race in, in a weird way. And I understand why it is It's not anything I would ever use. Well, 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 she, she, well she has an edge to her. She, she's yeah. just edgy. And that, that's kind of what it is. And it's just it wouldn't it wouldn't be a great fit for it, it just uh, Chris Nolan just seemed like he didn't feel like that was a great fit for what he wanted for that for that iteration of Catwoman. But, you know, like you said, I hear she's great in, in the movie, but that, that's just my two cents. It's just from an actor's perspective. Like, you know, it's just you, you have to take your ego out of it. And it's not it's not going to do with her or her talent. It's just literally how she projects when she's on screen. She has she has an edge. And that's just not what uh, what Nolan wanted for that particular film. Yeah. And, and it worked in this one. And you know what? Like. That's the thing that I had to learn in AA is like, yeah, I was bitter about like past rejections, past failures. But what, what life has taught me is those taught me lessons. And when those other things came up again, I learned from them and I, then I'm, Ooh, gratitude. I'm, I'm grateful. I went through that hardship because now I don't have to go through it again. I learned from it. And that's, Nobody uh, here in America, for the most part, nobody begrudges anybody for being rich and successful. I don't. And we just like to see a little gratitude. You know, don't flaunt it in somebody's face and be grateful and humble. And you will be the most popular person alive. I mean, like uh, Robert Pattinson, like has really flipped the script. You know, he he flipped uh, on his Twilight thing. He's just running around talking about how much he likes the movie and what video games he likes and interviews. That's that's how you, you know what that makes that that is in a very little way in a small way, making the world a better place by just not bringing any divisiveness into it now. So, so some actor, some big tech, rich freaking CEO, you know what, just either shut up. Sorry about that. Um, either shut up or, or try to be, you know, just talk about how successful you are and like, and how you overcame hardship or something like that. You know, it's just for a little while, you know, I, I said this about a year ago, it's like, Hey, Hollywood, I'm not saying never talk about politics, but maybe dial it down for, 12 to 18 months, give it a shot. Let's see what happens. You know, like it'd be nice just to, you know, that's why Spider-Man No Way Home was just like, you know, that's why it was so popular. It was just fun. You know, people needed to have fun. And it reminded me of the Grammy Spider-Man when it came out right after 9-11. The country needed a little injection of fun and relief however you feel about 9-11, but the country needed that. And I think that played a part in its success. They just wanted to have a little fun because that's all Hollywood is here for. They're not here to be platforms. They're here to, to you're here to entertain us. Uh, give us some escapism so we don't have to think about our troubles for an hour or two a day. That's all. That's all. That's all I've, that's all I've ever wanted. I've never wanted libertarian politics. I don't want like a Lord of the Rings 
that you know talk that says taxation is theft although it is uh i don't i don't need that or you know property rights uh because i'm a firm believer in property rights but uh i don't need that injected into all of my entertainment you know all the time it, like once in a while like a woke thing used to not bother me at all but now like the slightest little thing just rips me right out like it damn near ruined the batman for me and it was just one line because i'm sick of it i'm freaking sick of it because it's in everything it's in absolutely everything it's in commercials it's uh oh my god final final draft final draft you know the script writing program yeah 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 my god chris gore just sent me a message there's there's a there's a whole final draft sends out a thing inclusivity in final draft are you yeah. freaking kidding me april yeah. it's you know, and 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 the what's really insidious about it is that um you know what what we are reacting to um it's not the concept of you know inclusivity in and of itself no it's that it's the it's these ideological underpinnings of what these of of and the ideological roots of um the the people who are pushing these ideas onto people and um you know it's people ask me uh you know why why do you um why do you oppose this stuff and um you know it's because well it's because i consider myself to be uh, pretty liberal. And these ideologies are explicitly anti-liberal. Um, and, but what they do is they package it in language, um, and, and ideas and ideals that most of us agree with that. And that's, and that's the irony. None of this would work if we were in a country that actually was intolerant. None mm -hmm. of this would work in a country that actually, uh, that actually is bigoted. Because people want to be nice and they want to be uh, they want to be tolerant. They you know they understand that we all have to live here somehow. And we all have to, you know and we may not agree, but I, you know I just I think people um, you know and we're all we're, we've all got so much going on in our lives that uh, you know we, we're we're too busy focusing on ourselves to really spend that much time hating other people. Yeah, there are assholes out there who go out of their way to make life difficult for for certain minorities, and you know no one likes those people, and no one wants those people around. And, you know, I, I think I love what you said about gratitude because, um, you know, it's gratitude and perspective as well. People don't understand that, you know, just the idea that we have a nation that's this large and this and this populated full of this many different kinds of people that uh, at least up until recently um, has somehow been able to hold together and not completely come apart at the seams uh, and remain somewhat civil is a miracle. It's a it's an historical miracle. It's not typical of human nature given how tribal uh, how tribal we are and yet here come along these people who want to focus on every minutia on, on why we're different and not on why we're the same and that's why i go back to this idea of you know you look at romeo and juliet and these are a couple of kids defying their parents uh, falling in love and they don't know they don't really know what they're doing um, but it has tragic consequences that that elevate it to the level of high tragedy but you know what kids can't identify with you know just first love and 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 uh and uh defying your parents rebelling i mean juliet especially has this great story arc where she you know her mom is trying to set her up her mom and dad are trying to set her up with some nobleman and she's like yeah i don't really know about that i don't really like him do i like him like I, you know and she's she's growing and maturing and um you know it, it, this play is hundreds of years old but it still has resonance today it's why we still do it today but um you know but when you try to inject all of these um if you if you want to try to deconstruct it and say you know it's all about you know gender yada 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 and the play could still work if you have two you know if you want to break gender and have two uh, gay kids it could still work in my opinion but uh when when you try to go overboard and say you know we're going to have a, a genderless Othello, or like which which has been tried. I'm like, then you then that, that you know that play in particular, you know, part of the root of it is like this deeply sort of masculine bond between between soldiers. Like military is a huge part of that play. War is a huge part of that play. Serves as a backdrop for a lot of Shakespeare's works. Um, so, but if you try to strip gender from it, then it doesn't work. And also at the end, if you have this sort of non-binary actor slash actress um, choking. Uh, uh, Desdemona to death, which is in the final scene. Spoilers, guys. Sorry, um, it doesn't have the same impact. Doesn't have the same visceral impact as seeing a big man choke the life out of a small uh, out of a small woman. It just doesn't. It doesn't have the same impact. And um, you know, it's just it, it, the, the, 
that's my rant. <laughs> oh. oh no, another one. No, actually, at least at least it's something else because you mentioned this before um, um, about you know there's something about heroism, but also there, there's this thing about um, the 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 hero's journey, but also the um, the emasculation of a lot of our storytelling and and the this idea that we're getting rid of all these everything that men are and everything that that a man is is bad. And I feel like that may be part of it. And the more I think on it, the more I wonder, like, you know, is 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 the it's not that the the rise of women, many of whom make great artists, especially as actors, to be honest with you, um, it's not and writers. It's not that the the their upliftment is is a bad thing, but if we are throwing out the baby with the bathwater, maybe we're also losing something else as well. If we're if we're constantly trying to put out this narrative that everything that men are men that a man is that masculinity is is toxic. Everything right now, and 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 that's what I have been clapping back at because I mean, quite frankly. A lot of you are, and I mean, in the audience are busy going about your life. You're working. You're not going to pay attention to this stuff. Who would, I mean, nobody's asking you to do that. It's, it's, it's our job now. And, and just, I see it everywhere. And I used to get a ton of clapback on this and I get a lot less of it now, hmm. a lot less of it where I'm like, we're seeing the emasculation of, of Hollywood. We're, we're seeing everything masculine taken away, as you said, because it's seen as evil. It's an overcorrection. From, from Harvey Weinstein and me too, which was legit. Like Harvey Weinstein was a horrible dude, was a horrible dude. And there's a lot of horrible dudes. And you know what? There were some horrible women who helped him. A lot of horrible women helped these horrible men do horrible things in Hollywood. And then there was an overcorrection. Then people like latched themselves onto it because Hollywood is the land of opportunism. And they muddied the waters and they ended up being frauds and they ruined the entire movement. And then other producers this is my opinion, by the way, although I have a lot of evidence behind it, but it's still my opinion. Like J.J. Abrams and his wife took that opportunity to usurp power throughout Hollywood and seed it. And like, this sounds like a crazy conspiracy theory, but I've covered it in detail on my channel. So if you want to go check it out, you can cover it in detail. And uh, the man has a lot of power. Like he's involved in Star Trek tangentially. He's involved in Star Trek, Star Wars, Lord of the Rings, DC Comics. Uh, that's, that's some of the biggest franchises in Hollywood right now. The only one, the only thing he's not involved in is Marvel. That's the only thing he's not involved in everything else. He's got his fingers in because he used to know Steven Spielberg, but these things happened. These things happened. And in a lot of this entertainment, we're seeing uh, a lot of things get copied. So we're seeing a lot like the male hero passing the torch to, to newer heroes, which like in isolation is fine. No one has a problem with it. It's just in every story now. It's it's like literally every story. It was almost every story on, on Disney Plus. And, you know, I've been watching this stuff for years. And it's not the point of, like Clifton said, it's not what they're doing. It's not the inclusivity. It's what's behind it. They don't, Hollywood doesn't believe in any of this crap. They do not believe in any of it. it they are using people. They are using people for power and political gain. That's what this has always been about power and political gain. No one really cares about your cause or your genders or anything. They'll say whatever they need to say. One of the things I heard the most in Hollywood uh, was I'll be whatever you need me to be. I heard that a lot when I worked there. Um, and I thought that was, that was a very strange thing. And I'm like, that's what were the seeds of doubt, like wanting to work there. Cause like, I'm never going to say that That's not something I'll ever say to anybody. <laughs> that sounds like just straight up bitch made so for lack of a better term. <laughs> but, um, yeah. It's, it's, they are, they're using this for political gain. And then we're starting to, I mean, how ridiculous is it? Uh, I don't know. We get an anti-capitalism message in the last Jedi, a $300, a $300 million film, <laughs> a $300 million film created by a billion dollar corporation, multi-billion dollar corporation. We get an anti-capitalism message. It's like, what? It makes no sense. But it does if you think about like what, what we're really moving towards. So no, we, we unfortunately usurped natural like inclusion and diversity. And now you're right. It's harmed it. It is. And that's what we were saying. We're like, you're starting to pit people against each other who were never against each other. Like fandom, like never was like 
you know, paradise, but you know, at my comic shop, there was a, there was a rule, no politics. So I could have my wife's dad talking to my friend, Bill Selby, who was a conscientious objector in Vietnam, talking to a Vietnam vet and they weren't arguing. They were talking about star Wars and they were talking to like, that's the beauty of fandom. Right. And the, and politics never came up. They were best buds. Uh, as long as you just don't bring up those two things, you're fine. But that's what Hollywood is constantly doing. They're, they're bringing up those two things, but they're doing it to alien. And now, now the, 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 the seeds have been planted and it's gotten so bad. Hollywood can't go back because if they do go back on it, it looks like they're placating to Nazis. That's what's hilarious about it too, you know, and, and going back, I mean, I, I think in terms of maybe executives, producers, investors, shareholders, I think those are the people who maybe don't believe in a lot of this stuff. But when you're talking about the, the I'm going to, I'm going to use the term useful idiots, um, AKA adult pretenders, the various artists or whatever. I think a lot of these people, I don't think I know they are, they are true believers in this stuff. I mean, you can't, particularly after Trump got elected. I mean, you, you, you couldn't go, uh, you know, a day without confronting this, uh, this sort of ideological um, <laughs> mass psychosis. I love that we're talking about this now. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, you, you couldn't go to an audition. You couldn't have any rehearsals. You couldn't just, just be a regular person without talking about some sort of, um, some sort of political uh, nonsense. And I, you know, and on a more personal level, you know, I've seen it sort of begin to warp even friends I've known for a long time. There was one young lady that, that I know that I knew I've known for, gosh, maybe, maybe 15 years or so. And um, she started out, you know, just very multi-talented uh, actor, singer, uh, multi-instrumentalist, um, dancer as well. And, you know, she came to New York uh, with, with nothing and just and worked her way up. And uh, just watching her career progress was so fulfilling for me as she began to, you know, and she began to break into TV and Broadway and she was, she was really on her way. But she, she began to become very, very angry and talk about, you know, I would see her post about feminism and, and um, you know, everyday misogyny and these kinds of things and the sort of rage that it induced in her. And then the, then the racial politics as well, because, you know, she's, uh, she's Asian American. And, um, you know, so, so that, that added another le level of rage to her. And I, and I see as she, you know, the last time I spoke to her, I haven't spoken to her in a long time, but as she's gotten older, I, I see how embittered she's become and how really how warped uh, she sort of become and, and just in contrasting with who she used to be. I mean, even, even uh, in terms of um, it's causing strife within her family, you know, and it's just really tragic to see these kinds of things happen. But um, the, all of that is to say that, yeah, these people are really true. A lot of people who are like sort of on the ground and, and, and uh, you know, who are part of these projects. And part of being an actor is being compliant. Um, a part of being an actor is it's a very reputation heavy uh, um, um, industry. So, you know, who you know is not, is not only what's important, but how they perceive you is also uh, what's important. You don't want to be perceived as difficult. You don't want to be, you don't want to be perceived as uh, someone who will ruffle feathers or who, who's going to be on the out group. And, uh, you know, you have to be able to quote unquote, take direction well, which is ironic because, you know, in my training, we were taught to, you know, be bold and not really have show any sort of obligation to what's on the page, you know, in order to kind of give as much life um, to the character as possible, even if the writer didn't really intend, uh, you know, what's there. But um, it's just ironic because you see people who, for instance, that they might be doing a Broadway show and, um, you know, the Broadway minimum, um, even if you're, you know, some random dancer in the chorus, you're getting $2,400 a week. That's the minimum um, as negotiated by our union. And these people are cashing these checks and yet still talking about, openly talking about how Marxist they are. And, um, you know, and, and when you're in, you know, again, you, you talk to these people and they just, they, it's jargon, 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 buzzwords, buzzwords, buzzwords. And it it just really gets really tiring and overwhelming. And, uh, uh, and you learn to shut up just for the sake of your career over time. But then what that does is that that erodes your own, your own sort of soul. And by extension, your ability to be as open as you can as an artist and to create, because once you're lying to yourself, you, it's ironic, but you can't lie for an audience. You don't have the full range of your expression because you're so used to shutting yourself down. And the last thing I want to say is that, um, you know, the divisiveness is really sad because there is something that is, I think, 
uh, not to overstate it, but something kind of sacred about this sort of ritual that we engage in where we, you know, whether it's coming to a comic shop and talking about those, those things or we're coming to a theater or to the cinema, there's something that's kind of, kind of strange and uh, magical and even sacred about a group of strangers who are coming into a dark room to sit for a few hours and experience something together. And, um, you know, nothing else that happens outside of that room matters. It's just the event unfolding in front of you, whether it's uh, live actors or musicians on a stage or something happening unfolding on screen in front of you. And I think that is what is most insidious and the most damaging to what uh, the current machine is doing. They're, they're doing damage by driving people apart um, and violating that relationship between the artists and the audience um, by violating the, the relationship of between the audience among themselves. Um, it's just, it's not only dividing uh, uh, the, the producers from the consumers, I know you don't like that word, but, um, but when you begin to create an environment where people have hostility towards each other, um, it's just, um, that's a violation of what it is that we're here to do as, as artists. And I think that is uh, why people like me, people like you are speaking out and we're resonating with people, which is, um, which is really exciting. And it's, it's funny to watch the machine, you know, the, the professional critics, um, these actors, uh, producers or whatever, social media. I mean, there's, there, there's one tweet uh, going around right now. It's like, you know, Ava DuVernay, who's done some good work before, you know, but like, you know, she is the moment. And I'm like, well, Sure, and if that's if that's the case, then we probably won't be talking much about her in five or ten years, the way we talk about Spielberg or Quentin Tarantino, um, you know, or Hitchcock, you know, decades later. Um, but that's sort of my rant for right now. No, and she and she is another one who who fell prey to TDS, and 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 uh, went out there and said, "Yeah, I'm in charge of a production group, and I'm gonna I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna pick based on race." I mean, that's you know, she didn't say that. But I'm paraphrasing that she said that, and you could fact check me on the article. She said it, uh, and and that's that's unfortunate because that's the living embodiment. Your friend was the living embodiment of the American dream, right? She worked her ass off. She was acting. Then she let you know ingratitude and anger into her heart, and it, yeah, it's it's, and it's now causing problems with her family. Instead of like, hey, I made it. I did that. Like I did this. You know, and you don't have to be on the marquee. If you're making money as an actor, you made it. If you're making 2,400 bucks a week, that's pretty good. I mean, like, that's, you know, it's tough. Like, you're, especially in New York, that, that doesn't go as a long way as it would, like, here in Texas. But, you know, it's still good. It's still good. I, that's, like, more than I was making, you know, in parts. Uh, at parts, when I started out, I was making that a month. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was making that a friggin' month, and I was happy to have it. But um, no, it, it's it's the ingratitude that people say, like, you can be, uh, I mean, like, you know, Robert Redford uh, was famous for going to Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, no, it was, uh, it was, God dang it. I forgot what actor he talked to now. It might have been Leonardo DiCaprio, but he was talking to, to one of his uh, fellow actors about, like, uh, being uh, an activist actor. And he said, don't just say you're going to do it, do it. Uh, there's so many of us who say they're going to do it and they're full of shit and just do it. Uh, and then like, don't publicize everything you do, you know? And of course they always do. And that's fine. If you do some stuff behind the scenes, that's great uh, to make the world a better place. But a lot of them are like, you know, when you see Sean Penn going out to Ukraine to do a freaking documentary, it's like, dude's a maniac. Uh, especially with the things I know about that guy, but I can't say it here on the podcast because <laughs> I don't want to get sued. Nah. I'll tell you afterwards, <laughs> but um, I, I was in the Bay Area for 18 years, so we, we we knew some. We had some mutuals. We had some mutuals. We'll just say. Um, hmm. But uh, God, I talk too much sometimes, especially when I have coffee. Uh, but <laughs> no, I think that's that's you know uh, the, the average person, uh, and there are consumers out there. Believe me, just look at Disney Star Wars, and there's a lot of consumers out there. But there's also discerning customers. Um, and I think the average person just likes to be entertained. They love a comeback story. They love a redemption story and they love to see humility. I'd love to bring this up. Uh, Sonic the Hedgehog is a movie that probably would have flopped, right? So they came out, they showed the character design. Sonic the Hedgehog, by the way, if you don't know, insanely popular amongst certain circles, an insanely popular thing. Uh, that's something I found out at the comic shop when I chose one, uh, not wisely, to 
not sell the comic books. And I, I heard it. So I absolutely put them back on the shelves and uh, just made the Sonic fans happy. So uh, the director saw the clap back. And instead of insulting the fans, which is pretty much the rule of the day now, uh, he said, I heard you. We're going to change the design. Might delay the movie a little bit. And we're going to hopefully you'll like it. And we're going to make the best movie we can make. Problem solved overnight. There was no more. And you know what? He got a sequel out of it. The movie was a hit. It was one of the last movies to come out before the, the pandemic. And, and all the guy did was show a little humility. He's like, Oh, my bad. We'll fix it. The, 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 if, if Rianne Johnson just came out and, and he didn't even have to apologize. All he had to say was, I'm sorry. You didn't like the film. I did my best. And then there wouldn't have been anything with the last year, but he doubled down. He put up, you know, giant middle finger emojis to the fans like he fan the flames and quite frankly, what they did to Luke Skywalker. See, see one of the, here's one of the lies that you'll see from the access media all the time about us, about us, uh, our detractors of the last Jedi that we had a problem with the black stormtrooper or the female lead or, or Rose Tico. I didn't have a problem with any of them because they, their characters weren't there enough for me to like or dislike. There were pieces of cardboard. I had a problem with what they did to Luke Skywalker. They made him a quitter, a bitter old man on an island who threw his freaking lightsaber and died of an overdose dose on the force. They had him drinking booby milk, you know, and that's part of emasculating with. I hated every second of him in that movie. That's the only thing I had a problem with. And then the movie before that, killing Han Solo, making him a quitter, bailing on Leia bailing on his son he goes back to his old life in his 70s and then he walks right into a lightsaber like an idiot i mean that's what i had that's specifically what i had a problem with uh the other characters could have absolutely grown on me if they were written correctly but they weren't um you know and the the irony of that is that um it it was just bad storytelling i mean you know i i watched the force awakens twice i i really tried to give it a chance um and when when i saw Ray, uh, master the Jedi mind trick in a single scene when it took Luke Skywalker several movies to, to, to do the same thing. A- after a lot of hardship and loss and travail, I said, this is bullshit. I mean, I was, I was actually angry. You know, how is it that this person who has had like no combat training that I'm aware of, you know, can, can handle a lightsaber and defeat uh, 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 Kylo Ren in battle. It doesn't make any sense. It, and I, I just didn't understand what they were doing. And then ironically with Finn, you know, they, they uphold themselves. And I think John Boyega has been really uh, vocal about this, but, but you know, they, they, they uphold themselves as these bastions of diversity, but then they turned Finn into a fucking joke. He was comic relief, which is, a, which is an old trope. It's like, okay, well, here's Step and Fetch it all over again. You know what I mean? And, um, you know, so it's just, and, and it, it, they, they keep, it's, it's just hilarious because they, they have all these, these uh, ideals and they, they try to do all this good, but then they end up crossing themselves and, and crossing over themselves and throwing people under the bus that, that they intend to be, to, to be champions of. And, um, you know, and then, and then they hate you for it. And I'm just like, dude, you know, I mean, Luke Skywalker, the, the, the first movie, you know, his family is killed. Then he watches, you know, his mentor killed. Then he, he finds out his dad is like the most evil motherfucker in the galaxy. He gets his hand chopped off. His friend gets frozen, gets frozen in carbonite, you know. And then, but then when he comes in and that, that first scene in Return of the Jedi with that green lightsaber and he's doing a Jedi mind, you know, I'm like, oh, snap, Luke Skywalker is back. And he's the, he's the boy, he's that dude, you know. I was, about to say, yep. I was about to say something else. But it's like, it's that journey that they, they yep. tried to pack into one, like, but it, like Ray didn't even have a journey. That was the thing. She didn't have a journey. She was like she was perfectly uh, formed as she was. And the idea that she that she had a better that she was a better pilot than Han Solo, that she could repair the the uh, the uh, Millennium Falcon better than Chewbacca and Han Solo could. I'm like this is such bullshit. They tried to make a joke out of it, but it was nonsense. And um, you know, it's just it's just bad storytelling. There's no hero's journey there. That, that's what that's what I'm really getting at. There is no hero's journey. There's no valuation of the hero's journey. There's only the hero's journey. The hero's journey, and and the irony was, you know, if 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 you had put Ray in that kind of position where she, if you allowed her, if you were allowed to have female characters who are weak, 
and are able to build up themselves. And, you know, and let, let's allow there, there would be some inherent sexism in the audience, right? Because like, oh, they, they would see the small woman and they would, they, I think inherently they, inherently they would say, okay, well, you know, how's, how's this person going to be a warrior because she's the small, frail girl from this desert island. You, you turn that character into a hero, that is mighty. And that will inspire anybody. It doesn't matter what race or sex or gender or, or sexual identity that they, they happen to abide by. It's just a standard story. We just happen to be watching a female go through that same journey. And I don't understand how they, they you, know, you have all that talent and all that money, all those resources involved, and you can't see that. Um, well, Mr. Beekler, uh, our time uh, has ended together. And I've enjoyed this, this conversation with you. And I know we could go for, for further and further, but there's some stuff I have to put in the fridge if I'm being really honest with you that I haven't. And it's going bad. You don't <laughs> want it to go bad. It's, it's good to put yourself in a time limit like that too. I think well, it's, a, it's good. <laughs> well, also, I mean, I can't, be, I can't be spoiling or wasting food these days because now it just costs so goddamn much uh, to buy it. Um, but where can people find you uh, and, and support your work, Mr. Beekler? You can find me here uh, on YouTube. I almost said here on YouTube. You can find me on YouTube. Just search Nerdrotic. Uh, I also have two alternate channels, Nerdrotic Daily, which is a clips channel, essentially, and Nerdrotic Live, where I archive live streams. You can also find me at, on Twitter, at Nerdrotix. Yes, there's an S at the end. It's a long story that I can't tell right now. And Nerdrotic.com, a website that will get much, much better very soon. But right now, it's very simple and dumb. <laughs> <laughs>